0: Thank you, Gabe. Um, sorry, I was right in the middle of sending a text. Just, never mind. Um, yeah, good to see you guys. My name is Simon, and if I'm not actually texting, I'm closing the text. Just give me a second. All right, there, we go. Um, if we've not met, I'm the lead pastor here. One of a handful of leaders who are part of this church here to serve, um, and. I, I, I've not said this in a while, but I want to. I want to say this morning. Every, uh, Grace City is a part of a family of churches uh, called a network. I don't know. You, I guess you could say a denomination, although I don't think technically we're that. We're a family of churches uh, called Every Nation, and uh, we we're, we plant churches. We we do outreach. We do missions. Uh, social responsibility things. And this upcoming week, there's a handful of us here in the room that are actually going to be uh, traveling just over to Florida for an Every Nation conference. You know how churches do occasionally. It's like a big family gathering. um, It's a time of vision, encouragement, worship, equipping, all these kind of things. Normally, I'm not a big conference kind of guy. Maybe you've heard me say that before. But I'm sincerely looking forward uh, to being a part of this conference. My wife, Shirley, and I, and like I said, a few other people here in this room are going to make the trip out. And it's a really big deal because it's very, very important that we, or any of us as Christians, remember that we're a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves, bigger than any one local church, bigger than any one city. God always thinks big. Big. Jesus came to rescue us because God so loved the world. And you could even stretch that to like the cosmos. Um, So we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Um, And I think that's very healthy. It's important for us to to be aware of and to remember. If you wouldn't mind praying for just myself and and the, the few of us who are going to that conference, that would be amazing. There's actually gonna be about, I believe 80 different nations Represented At this conference It's a bit of a, a global gathering As it were um, In fact a friend of ours uh, from London Has been hanging out with us this week Oh she's shrinking in her seat uh, And uh, yeah She's coming all the way from London Going to be seeing a lot of my friends From the UK over there uh, this week But anyways please pray for us And we'll, we'll bring back whatever we get And, and share it with you guys um, The other thing is as far as we 're concerned, right here this morning, grace city we exist so that anyone, hopefully anyone, might experience truth, grace, and ultimately new life in jesus christ that 's our our strap line, if you will, um, and I, I emphasize that I try to to remind us of that as much as possible because well, because that's what we're doing, but also because I want you to know that wherever you're coming from, so the anyone bit, means that wherever you're coming from, uh, if you find yourself here and you're thinking, why am I even here? Well, it's poss- possibly because a friend of yours drug you here or simply wouldn't stop inviting you here. That, that does happen occasionally. Or it could be that you're just really curious and you're, you're open and you're looking for answers and you thought, why not try Jesus? but you've not made any decisions yet and you're checking it out, I just want you to know that you're very, very welcome here and I hope that you find that you are in a great place to to explore what that means, to learn about what it actually means to become a child of God and to live that life, to follow Jesus and all that the Bible has to say about that. Um, Those things are always best discovered in community. So if that means anything to you, welcome. I hope you feel very at home this morning. With that said, let's go ahead and open our Bibles. If you brought a Bible, please open it to the book of Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue our study through the gospel of Mark. We're almost to the end. How do you feel about that? All right. We're going to go ahead and jump right in. Mark chapter 14 verse 22, verses 22 through 42. And as they were eating, he, that is Jesus, took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, "Take. This is my body." And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going see my betrayer is at hand heavy it's an intense scene as we're approaching the cross let me let me start here god has a plan for your life. What we just read. All 20 verses. It is the culmination. Of. Well. Nearly a thousand years of a story being told. It's the culmination of a plan. That God had in his mind. From the beginning of time. Before he laid the foundations. Of the earth. As it were. God had a plan. And it involved this. This. Sending his son, God the son, leaving home to come and die for the sins of the world. It's about to transpire. But the implications of it, God has a plan for your life and mine as well. What do you think about that? God has a plan for your life. Have you ever heard that? Some of you may be thinking, yeah, I've heard it. And it's like the most cliche thing ever. Yeah, I, I get it. But it's true. It is totally, radically, wonderfully true. God has a plan for your life. You have a vision? Do you ever ever think about that? Maybe not necessarily in those terms, but dream about what, what does God have for me? I love the idea that God has given me life for a reason. He's put me in a particular place, a time, people, given me talents, skills, a whole story that my life might somehow like interconnect with his story. And and gosh, what an incredible thing that, that I would fulfill a specific plan that God has for my life. You ever wonder what that might look like? God has a plan for your life. But there's a way that God goes about leading us into that plan. There's a way that God blesses us, helps us, empowers us so that we might experience that plan, his plan for our lives. Um, I think about things like, you know, practical things. That's all quite big and and wonderful, but you know what about like the, the real stuff of life, like um your career, your family, your marriage, your future marriage that 's something you think about um, your security that that sense of significance that I think we all like on some sort of human level long for. How does God's plan play out in those like real aspects of our lives? What does it look like? We're gonna chalkboard it this morning. It's been a while. Okay. This is really important. I think it's very important and hopefully helpful. I want you to imagine this. Okay. Here's you. Here's Here's your vision. This is where you want to get to. This is, let's say you're at point A, and point B is something maybe to do, again, with your career, your family, your, you know, the, the dreams that you have for your life, your plans which you hope somehow coincide with God's plans. You're here, and you see it there, and you're dreaming about it, you're praying about it. How do we get from point A to point B? What is the way in which God... Takes us. Everything about that? Now, I would argue, I would argue that typically, in thinking about like our default mode of of, of doing life, we tend to approach it like this simple A to B, and I hope God helps me get there. I just, I wanna get from here to here. I'm willing to do the work, I'm willing to take the steps. And I'm really hoping that along the way, God, he's kind of with me. And he's blessing me and he's helping me. He's giving me the things that I need in order to actually get there. Is this theologically right? No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. This is the biblical vision. The way, as it were, that God leads us. As we attempt to fulfill his plan, it looks more like this. I missed B. I almost hit it. Close (laughs) enough. Our default mode, and maybe not everyone, but I'll certainly be the first to admit it. Our default mode is I wanna get from A to B. And God, won't you just help me along the way? You know, something like God helps those who help themselves. You ever read that verse? <laughs> uh, it's not a verse. Now, that's, that's not how God helps us. That's not the way that we experience God's blessings or the fulfillment of his plan in our lives. It looks something more like from death to new life. Not from A to B. Hoping God helps us. But from losing my life, being crucified with Christ, that I might experience new life. His life. Are you guys with me so far? Um, let's go some... Some verses here to back this up. This this is all over the Bible. I just picked a few to just kind of show you that this this is in fact what the Bible says. Now, Mark chapter 8, verse 35. This is where we were about a month ago or so, a couple months ago. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is Jesus talking about what it looks like to follow him. Um, Later, one of the letters that uh, an apostle, the apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Philippi, he said this: Philippians three, verse eight. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And finally, one of my favorite, Galatians two twenty. If I were to ever get a tattoo. Of a verse on my body. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of the cross. Um, Elsewhere, Paul says, this is actually in Romans 7 and 8, he describes this as the new way of the Spirit this idea of dying to self, being crucified with Christ, that we might be raised up with him, that we might experience new life with him. It's called walking in the spirit, the new way of the spirit. Jesus himself describes it as taking up your cross daily and following him. Now to be sure, Jesus rescues the world. He saves us, he gives us new life. The moment we say yes, I receive what you've done for me. You've done the work for me on the cross. And now in a moment, I'm choosing to, to, to embrace all that you've done for me. And it begins. But the following him, the experiencing that life that we've actually now begun, that process of, of fulfilling the specific plan that he has for us, the good works that he's prepared for us. That's how Paul puts it in Ephesians. That's, that's where it starts to get fun. That's where the whole process of following him begins. So I'm not talking about how to get saved. I'm talking about, I could probably unpack that a little bit, but I'm not talking about like getting to heaven. I'm not talking about how do we get into the family of God. That's a very, very simple matter. It's when we choose to trust Jesus. What that looks like is absolute surrender and obedience. I'm talking about the journey that ensues thereafter, the following him, the fulfilling the plans that he has for our lives. That is the way of the cross. Now, this is not, let me me make this very, very clear. What I'm not talking about is the, um, the old phrase, no pain, no gain. You guys familiar with that? No pain, no gain. This idea that well, if I, wanna, if I want the good life, then I've got to be willing to suffer for it. If I want to get strong, then I've got to be w- willing to go to the gym. And I reckon, okay, sure, that's, at some level that's totally true. You know, this week I started a little exercise regiment. I'm going to be vulnerable now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my 40s. And I realized, like, this is it. Like, either I, I've got I've to make a choice. I've got to make a choice. So I started exercising. I'm three for three. Baby steps. Thank you. Baby steps. I decided, this is all you. This is all you, dude. This is your fault. I blame you. I'll explain later. This is Jacob. You did this to me. And I'm like, okay, baby steps. Monday morning, I get up. I've got my little calisthenic routine all planned. I go out to the garage, and I'm doing it, doing my push-ups, my jumping jacks, my squats, etc. I wake up Tuesday morning, and I'm like, man, I feel tight. I look in the mirror like, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> of course, nothing has changed whatsoever. But the point is simply... Yeah, obviously, there's certain things in life that if you want to experience the gain, it's going to take pain. That's not not what we're talking about. I have to emphasize that. That's not what this is. Because sometimes, life hurts a lot. Sometimes, gosh, sometimes we make really stupid decisions. We sin. We blow it. We hurt people. We hurt ourselves. Can God redeem that of course absolutely god is the master of redemption but is that somehow align with his way of like pain before gain no no that's not it at all it's not no pain no gain it's also not an exercise i'm talking about this way of the cross it's not an exercise in detachment simply ridding oneself of neediness and various dead-end desires or ego, that's a whole other philosophy. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about a process of learning to trust God. Dying to self or emptying oneself so that God, the Holy Spirit, might fill us, transform us, and empower us to live anew. In relationship with him, receiving his love, sharing it with others, fulfilling the plans that he has for us, and finding our fulfillment in him. Will it involve pain? Yeah, probably, but that's that's just life. That's life. Does it involve emptying oneself? Absolutely, that's what Jesus meant by dying to self. But what's very, very important for us to understand, to not forget, is that this is about, this is a process of getting closer to God, of learning to trust him, relinquishing control that he might lead us in life. Emptying ourselves so that he might fill us with more of himself and his love. This is all about relationship. That's what we're talking about. Now, what does this have to do with Jesus and the Last Supper and the Garden and his betrayal? Everything. So going back to Mark 14, we don't need to go there. But... Where we find Jesus and his disciples sharing this meal, this is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It'll last for uh, seven days. On day one, they celebrate the Passover meal. This is the meal that God's people, Israel, the Jews had been observing for nearly a thousand years. Not quite. For a long, long time. And it's the meal that God told them to do every year as a way of remembering what he had done for them when they used to be slaves and they're living in this oppressive empire called Egypt and they cried out to God and God made a way. He went on a rescue mission and he set them free and he gave them a new life and they went on their way. Jesus is announcing to his friends, his disciples, at this meal, that this meal that they and their people had been observing for centuries and centuries and centuries had all been a foreshadow of what was happening now. This was the real rescue mission. The cosmic rescue mission, not just once upon a time for the small little people group but for the entire world and for all of time. This is it. This is is the moment. This is Jesus' moment. Everything is riding on what's about to happen next. He's about to fulfill his destiny, but he has one more stop to make before he gets to the cross. Gethsemane. Gethsemane, he's got to go to the garden first. Can we go to the next slide, please? Before the cross always comes the garden. The cross, this is where Jesus died a sacrificial death for my sins, for your sins. Before the cross, rather the cross is where God gained his greatest victory that is where the mighty one crushes the serpent's head. This is Genesis 3.15. But it's in the garden that the real battle begins. To be sure, the cross is where God dealt his death blow to sin, Satan, and death. But before he got there, the, the battle really kicked off in this garden called Gethsemane. This is where the fight began. Being crucified with Christ, dying to self, casting down your crown and picking up your cross to follow and trust Jesus is absolutely the key to experiencing his life, new life. But the reason why so many of us, I would argue, the reason why so many of us experience an infinitesimal bit of that victory is because here, in the garden, we have a habit of defaulting to this mode. Now, there's something so amazing and, and paradoxical about when you read through the gospels i mean for sure jesus is the hero and all eyes are on him the story is unfolding we're about to reach the climax and and we know the ending of the story and mark knows we know and 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 we know that jesus is going to come back after he dies on the cross he's going to meet his disciples in galilee he is going to be resurrected from the dead and that is that's our victory that's the point for sure, but he's also at the same time modeling something for us because we too not like Jesus per se, but like Jesus are to follow him and also die to ourselves and take up our cross and, and experience a kind of suffering that we might live like he lives now. And so there's, there's this cool paradox. It's like we, I'm not Christ and I'm not gonna die for my own sins, but like Christ Christ, on my way to the cross, there's a garden that I find myself in. There's a moment of wrestling. There's a there's a fork in the road. And guys, I'm I'm convinced that so oftentimes, and again, I hate to like go go here, but we live in a Christianized society. And everyone's got their opinion about the millennials and 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 this cultural moment and and whatnot and and I some of you are thinking, like, dude, did he just take a jab at John Mark Comer? You're yeah, okay, like, who is that? This, this cultural moment, you guys know it? You guys know it? Not, not if you've ever listened to this cultural moment. Yeah, of course. It's a brilliant podcast. It's brilliant. Um, What's why I lost my train of thought? There is something about us. I don't know if it's just a human phenomenon or if it does have something to do with our culture now. But so many of us will, will hear something about the cross. You're like, look it, awesome, I'm, I'm down, I'm a Christian. I'm, uh, Yes, die to myself, like I get it. This is Christianity 101, sign me up. And we nod and we think theologically, correct. And then we set off this way. We set off this way, and we're, we're hoping that, that we can experience God's plan for our lives. We're like, dude, I want an awesome marriage, and I want this career, and I want to live for God, and I want to die to myself, and that sounds super noble, and I'll do it, and I'll rah, rah, rah. And, but how often do we actually make it to the cross? You know, the disciples. So Jesus brought his, his disciples with them. They went to the Mount of Olives. And then he took Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me. Sit here. Pray with me. This is about to go down. None of them made it to the cross. And he knew they wouldn't. He said, when they strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And not a single one of those men, three of the women, but not a single one of those disciples made it to the cross. What is that? What is that? It's the garden. It's the Gethsemane moment. If you desire to experience God's gain, his victory, his life, to be sure, we must be willing to follow him to the cross. And if you're serious about following Jesus to the cross, it's equally important that we understand that the journey always begins in the garden. What is the garden? The garden is where stuff gets real. It's where the real battle begins. Were you guys here a couple of weeks ago? Did you hear Pastor Seth's sermon that he preached about money a few weeks ago? Did you hear that one? It was pretty bold. I think he titled it something like All In. All In. Um, I always get a little nervous when I hear pastors talking about money um, because it's a sensitive subject and I've heard it done wrong many, many times. I thought he just, I thought he nailed it. I thought he did it just right. He was bold, he did not hold back, but it was so full of grace and all about Jesus. But it was real. I mean, it felt like, I'm like listening to it with my, my earphones, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> wow, okay, yeah. He, that just got, that got real. All in, am I all in? I love the sound of the cross. I'm all in, die to self, follow Jesus. Heck yeah, let's sing a song. <laughs> but it's in the garden that it's like, okay, this is, this is, this is feeling real. This is getting a bit, a bit emotional. I mean, Jesus said he went to the garden to pray and he was, he was distressed to death. I mean, he felt, it sounded to me like this is sort of almost suicidal anxiety. Not that he was gonna kill himself per se, but you, you get me. This deep, deep distress because Jesus knew what was coming. This is the garden, It's where theology becomes praxology. It's where spiritual intentions become practical, costly activity. It's where we begin to count the cost. Our first parents, again, this is a Genesis. Reference, our first parents did not fare well in the garden. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? There was a garden there. And there was uh, some kind of trial. They did not fare well. And it went really, really bad for humanity. We're in another garden now. And another fight has kicked off. Jesus is, is the new Adam fighting for us. He went in swinging and he came out strong. Let's talk about garden. How to stay the course on your way to the cross. If you're interested in that. There's a few points. Very, very helpful practical points that I want to I pull out of this moment. Number one, when Jesus entered into the garden, he didn't go alone. If you find yourself desiring to follow Jesus in some very radical, real ways that actually requires a a dying to self, a taking up of one's cross. And you're in this moment and you're like, I can go this way or this way. And I'm, I'm here, I'm in the garden. I'm feeling it, it's getting real. The turmoil, the anxiety, it's like, where do I go? What do I do? That's the garden moment. Oftentimes, many of us, when we're in that kind of place of life, What do we do? What do we do? We pull back. We isolate. We get alone. We take a break. I just need some time, you know, to get with God. Just me and God. Just going to kind of pull out a little bit. Which Jesus does a lot. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus consistently would withdraw from the crowd, even from his disciples, to spend like hours alone in prayer with his heavenly father. When ministry was going great and things were happening and and it was like, man, the kingdom is coming now. He did not do that in this moment. When he was entering into the garden, he got his friends. And he surrounded himself with people who could pray with him. That's super important. Surround yourself with friends, with prayer partners. Secondly be honest be honest with your friends be honest with God be honest with yourself how many of you love the feeling of burdening others with your problems how many of you just like just long to do that when you're having a hard time no one i don't think anyone like unless you've got proper problems <laughs> There is that that tendency that we have, not only do we isolate, but even if we do find ourselves surrounded with people, and if someone is like actually availing themselves, hey, what's going on? You don't look good. I haven't seen you in three weeks, these kind of things. We're like, ah, you know, I'm I'm good. I don't need to burden you with my my drama. What did Jesus do? He did the exact opposite. He brought his his three friends with him and he told them he wasn't at this point he wasn't even praying but he said to his friends he says my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch this is a leader pastor Jesus getting super vulnerable with not just his followers his friends in his darkest moment Guys, we need, if you struggle with humility, pray and ask God that we can be humble enough to entrust our burdens to others and be honest with God. If you find yourself sort of in a turmoil moment where you feel like God is leading you one direction, and you know it's gonna cost you, and and you're not really sure what's happening, but all you know is I don't like this feeling. I, I don't like where this is going. I don't like the guy who talks about money, I don't like having to humble myself, I don't like repenting, I don't like confessing my sins to another, I don't like trusting God in this way because I feel like I'm freaking out. Tell God how you feel. Tell him what you think. If you don't want to follow him, tell him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, God, Father, I don't don't want to do this. Which is pretty like mind-blowing if you think about it because for I don't know how many days now it's kind of all he's been talking about. We're going to Jerusalem, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna come back. This is it, this is the plan, it's coming, it's happening. Are you with me? And he's going and no one gets it, and finally he's there and he's like, No, ripcord, I want out. Changed my mind. It's like getting up to the front of that line of the roller coaster. You guys ever been there? And you're like, okay, I know I'm like 25 years old, but I'm freaking out. How do I get out of this line? You guys know what I'm talking about. And it doesn't matter that in your rational mind, you're like, no, 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 I know this is right. This is gonna be good. This is what I got in line four. It doesn't matter because you're freaking out and emotionally, you just wanna bail out. You wanna pull out. You want to take control. It's so important and healthy that we express to our Father, to our friends, gosh, to ourselves what's really going on? How do you really feel about it? And when you talk to God, my notes. And when you talk to God, talk to Abba. You guys catch that word, Abba, Father? This is it. This is that, that word. Maybe you've heard it talked about. It's an Aramaic word, apparently literally translated. It means something like daddy. Couldn't quite translate it right. So the translators simply left it Abba. But it's, it's that super intimate sort of term that you would only use when you're communicating not with father, sir, but with daddy, Abba. It's the only place it's used in all four of the Gospels. It's used two other places in the epistles. When you talk to God, call him daddy or whatever you want to call him. Father, papa. But know that this isn't God. Way out there. From a distance, looking down, looking on, arms crossed, waiting to see if you're gonna do the right thing. Now this is Abba, Father, who's close, who cares. Who's deeply concerned about where you're at, what you're going through who weeps when you hurt. When you talk to God, and we all talk to God, whether you believe in God or not, we all talk to God, I'm convinced. How do you relate to him? Not like what do you call him, I don't really care what you call him, but how do you relate to him? Particularly when you're hurting when you're in a garden you know we're meant to relate to God as a father which can be super hard particularly if that word father has really unhelpful connotations about it i.e. like you never had a father father Or maybe you did but would have been better off without one kind of thing we're meant to relate to God as a good faithful strong father who cares deeply about us two more things two or three more things be prepared to trust and obey despite your feelings on the matter. It's a beautifully um, raw moment, all that's going on in this garden as he's about to get up and go to the cross. But don't miss the fact that it's not just like pure like emotional angst. It's not just like, oh God, I hate you and... Oh, how how noble and and authentic of you. That's not it. That's not the point. In that moment, despite the fact that Jesus didn't feel like taking that next step towards the cross, he says, but Father, not my will. Your will be done. He had already determined that no matter what, he was going to trust and obey his Father. That's really important. It may seem super obvious, but oftentimes we go into situations thinking, like, well, let's just see how it goes. Let's just, we'll feel it out. And if I'm feeling peace, then maybe I'll, you know, I'll trust God with this thing or this area of my life. How's that working out for you? That rarely, if ever, actually works out. It's important. That in our moment of honesty and that, that intimate interaction with God, that we mustn't forget that God is still God, and that despite however I might feel about the situation or what trusting and obeying Him might actually look or feel like, He's still God. And we need to determine beforehand to trust Him, to submit our will our understanding, our opinions or perspective on the matter to him. Oh, this is a good one. This is so, so good and so easy to miss. So at the end of this sort of moment... He keeps going back to his disciples three times. Isn't it ironic that he just told Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he's not actually quite denied Jesus yet, but he has fallen asleep three times. So he's like well on his way to just face planning before Jesus. But he goes to them and he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit, pneuma. Now it's interesting. I think there's a bit of play on words going on here because Most of our Bibles write that word spirit with a lowercase s. I suspect Jesus could very well have been talking about the Holy Spirit. For sure, I have a desire in me to trust God, even if it costs me everything. But there's another side of me. Call it my flesh. Call it my my carnal ways. Call it my old man. That call it fear. Call it what you may. I'm torn. There's a tension. My spirit is willing, but gosh, my flesh is weak. You get that? But there's something else, the spirit of God is willing. The Spirit of God is willing to lead me and to help me and to empower me and to even affect my desires that I might trust him, but my flesh is weak. You know, this is the only place in the entire book of Mark where Jesus sort of unpacks a bit of spirit theology, pneumatology, as they say. He says, you need the Holy Spirit. You can't do this. You have fallen asleep. You are... are, are, not doing well. I get it. Jesus walks out of the garden determined more than ever to go to the cross. To fulfill the plans that he came for. For the very reason he came in the first place. He won. He stuck his boot to the head of the serpent. He knew that he had to go to the cross. And he was the spirit filled man. Walking the power of not his deity per se, but the power of the Spirit who is living in him. And he looks to his disciples. He says, hey, meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. Because if you're going to experience the power you need, not just to get to Gethsemane, but to get through it and continue on your way to the cross that you might experience my life, you're going to need more of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're going to need to be filled with the Spirit of God because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you'll fall asleep every time. The flesh is indeed super weak, but the Spirit of God, the greater one who lives inside of you is more than enough. Meet me in Galilee in a few days and you will receive power to be who I've created you to become in the first place. Have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? What do you think about that? Okay, let me say this. Just before our service this morning, um, everyone who comes here a bit early to serve, the worship team, kids team, hospitality, all that. By the way, we need help. Just going to put it out there. But we always come together. You can sign up. We always come together and we pray. I'm just being real. Y'all need to help. We come together and we pray for our service. And I always take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Because we got all these plans, we got our coffee, we got our songs, and and that's all wonderful. And I think God's in that. But at the end of the day, we're like, okay, just, just all of that aside, God, you're here, we're your kids, you are the head of your church. What's on your heart today? What do you want to do? What do you want to say? We have a little moment. And, and we've got our Bibles with, within reach. But we're listening to the Holy Spirit. And I usually ask the question, like, does that align with what God has said, i.e., God's word? And the answer is virtually always yes. And this morning, uh, one of the girls who's actually serving downstairs said, God spoke to me last night, woke me up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep for three hours. And God told me that he wanted me to open my heart wider to receive more of him to be filled afresh with his spirit. That's not weird charismatic stuff. That's like just plain old Bible following Jesus stuff. The heart that is constantly being filled with the spirit of God. Have you you experienced that? Or is that sort of like, oh, that that just sounds weird. I guess it is weird in that, yeah, it's completely like otherworldly. This is where it gets fun. This is where it gets real. This is where human beings can begin to walk in the power of the Spirit. This is the good stuff. Last point. In fact, can I invite the worship team to, to join me up front? Um, we're gonna take communion together in just a moment but I want to end on this. One of the hardest things about this whole garden phenomenon is, um, is the undeniable fact that Jesus' friends, they let him down, right? He said, come pray with me. Like, I'm dying here. I'm facing the the hardest, darkest moment of my life. I want to die. Please come pray with me. And they're like, yeah, of course. You know we're with you. We'll never deny you. Ever, ever, ever. And they fall asleep. And he comes back and he wakes them and they fall asleep again. And it's like, wow, this is really sad. Jesus is like dying here and he can't even get his friends to stay awake one night and pray with them. And you might think, yeah, that's, I've had some friends like that. I know what it feels like to be alone after I've reached out in my moment of pain, in my darkest hour. And of course, Jesus knew, like, He just predicted it. He knew they would fall away, He knew they would scatter, and yet He brought them with Him anyway. Guys, when we're in the garden, when we're in that moment of wrestling, God's doing something deep, and it feels like, man, I'm just, I'm losing all orientation. And we reach out to some friends, and we shoot out a text, be like, man, can you pray for me? And you end up finding out later, like, man, like, you weren't really there for me. Like, they tried, but they weren't exactly enough in the moment let me just remind you for all of us the reason why jesus brought his friends with him to that garden was because it was god was doing something in their lives as well and any time you're feeling tempted to like step back isolate just get alone and, and do your thing and you remember like no no, no i mustn't do that and we all know we mustn't do that and you reach out and you find that your friends couldn't actually be like the Messiah for you and they fall short every time. Just remember, guys, it's never just about you. It's never just about your pain or your moment. It's about us going through something together. And when you aren't enough for me and I'm not enough for you, that's not my cue to reject you or move on. That's a reminder that God is doing something in all of us. And we need to bear with one another and patience In humility, realizing that, man, okay, this was Jesus' moment of pain. Can we stand together, please? This was Jesus' garden. But something was going on in Peter's life. He, too, was about to face his darkest moment because he would deny his Savior. And, oh, my goodness, what a long week was ahead. And eventually he would meet Jesus in Galilee on the shore. And his king would restore him. And he would be filled with the Spirit of God. And he would experience not just what it means to be a follower, but to be a child of God. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you know what primarily happens? You know what the primary work that takes place when a human heart begins to be filled with the love of God? It's a revelation that you are a son or daughter of God. Before anything else, it's the Spirit of Adoption that fills the human heart and causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, you're my daddy. And I hurt and I want to run away, but I won't because I know you. I know you, not from a distance, but from really, really, really close up. That's what God was about to do in Peter's life. That's it. Let's take communion now. We do it to remember who God is and what he's done for us. The juice is the blood. The bread is his body. He gave us his all that we might experience this kind of life. A spirit Filled life, the life of knowing God, of following Him, taking up our cross, and experiencing His plan for our lives. If you would like that, if you like, dude, I'm I'm in. Let's go to a let's go find a garden right now, then <laughs> take communion. Um, if you're not sure. If you're like, man, that was just, you just got way too excited for me and I don't even know half of what any of that means. It's fine. Don't don't feel pressure to do this. But if you're like, actually, I understood a bit of that and I understand that I need Jesus. I need, I need my heart to be filled with the love of God. I don't want to just go from A to B. I want to learn to trust God. I want to know what that's like. And this morning, I want to take the first step. Then I would say you're welcome to take communion because it's a way of saying yes to who God is and what he's done for us. The band's going to lead us in worship. Feel free to take communion whenever you're ready. There's gluten-free back on that corner. That corner and that corner. now listening to Grace City Portland